be closed, you know. But I call this pizza place, and, and they're like, hello? It was called Shoppa's Pizza, brilliant pizza in Lebanon, Illinois. Uh, yes, hello, uh, I'd like to order a pizza. Uh, how late are you guys open? Oh, we're open till 1 a.m. I was like, good to know, good to know. You know, that number was on speed dial, right? So I get this pizza at like 12.30, right? Never would have done this before. And then at like 2 a.m., I'm just sitting there on my bed, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll go to bed now. Like, I don't know what else to do, you know? But, but that, that freedom that I sensed and that you have felt at different times in your life is so incredibly unique, not bogged down or hindered. As I've reflected on my own life, I think that there are ultimately two different ways that I've lived. There are times when I live uninhibited. There's nothing burdening me or bogging me down. I'm free to move wherever it is uh, that the winds blow. I'm focused. I'm directed. I'm just, I'm free. I, I live that way sometimes, and I'm sure some of you do as well. And then there's, there's these other moments in my life where I feel like, like someone or something, rather, is holding my shirt or that I've got a sandbag on my shoulders. And, and I'm living and I'm moving, but I'm definitely not moving as fluidly as I once was. I'm moving like with some weight on, and, and it's, it's burdening and it's bogging me down. And what I've realized is that one of these I, I love... And one of these, I would use the word hate. But this one, it seems at times that I, I linger there. The way that I live at times is bogged down, hindered, like someone's holding me back. And yet, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm there a lot. And maybe you are too. Well, the amazing thing tonight about this particular passage and this particular statement is we're going to take some steps forward I'm not going to deal with the minutiae of the meat and potatoes right now. This statement, it will unfold for you as we walk through 1 Peter. So that being said, open your Bibles and your pews to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to wrestle with all of three verses tonight. And I'm very anxious uh, to see what God will do in all of this. So 1 Peter chapter 3. When you guys have a page number, will you just shout it out? 873 is the page number. Let's start in verse 13. Put this up for me. Verse 13 says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If you're just joining us, let me give you some context. Uh, Peter's readers are in tremendous, uh, tre- they are tremendously in harm's way. Uh, many of their friends have already died. Many of them have already suffered. Uh, they're being persecuted by the Roman emperor Nero. It's a crazy time in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's where Peter writes this. His readers are in a lot of tension. They're in constant angst. They're unsure what life is going to hold or what is going to unfold. And so when Peter writes this, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous after what's good? It goes right at his readers because they're very interested in who will or who won't harm them. I have three major questions from verse 13. The first is centered around the word harm. I don't think any of us here would, would be like, I just, I love when people harm me, you know? Like, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm addicted to harm, right? Like, bring on the harm, right? Not, none of us would say that. But, but what's interesting, if you would do a little evaluation of yourself, is out of intrigue, we become harmful voyeurs. You remember yourself on the playground the first time there was a fight when you were a kid? Were you the guy that was blindfolding your eyes? No way, Right? You were the guy that was like, whoa, you know, and you start seeing punches thrown, you like go up to it, and you're like, ooh, you know. And in your heart, maybe you felt bad, 
but you were definitely checking it out. You know what I'm saying? There was a time on the bus. I had a lot of fun experiences in grade school on the bus. Anybody else? Okay. I had to ride the school bus where I'm from. I know all of you drove Beamers to school, but as for me and my house, I rode the yellow thing. And uh, there was this time where in the back of the bus, and that's where I always sat, uh, that there was this riffraff that kind of had gathered there, and they just started throwing down. And instead, I remember this, I was in third grade, instead of like stepping in and being the, the, you know, the guy who's kind of mediating, I just like cheered them on, you know? It's like, dude, right on, throw that, you know? It's crazy, listen, it's crazy how much we have an aversion to being harmed, but how out of intrigue we become voyeurs when harm is being done to others. It's troubling to think of it that way, isn't it? It's troubling to think that even though there's times when our heart breaks, at the idea of harm, that there's other people that when harm is done to them, it attracts us and even at times excites us because of what they've done to us. The interesting thing about harm is that we've all been harmed and we've all done some harm ourselves. But what Peter does here, listen, is he takes this word harm and he flips it on its head. What he says is it's possible to live in such a way, to experience something in such a way where no harm can be done. Interesting, isn't it? Put that in the back of your mind. Let's move on. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous? Zeatos is the Greek word, and it means, and I hope I get this word right, vehemently, is that right? Did I get that? Vehemently, tough word to say, after a particular thing. To be zealous for something is to have a tremendous amount of passion towards it. There was a, a Jewish sect called the Zealots, and the reason they got the name Zealot was because they were uh, governmental radicals. They were very zealous and passionate about what they believed in, and so they got this term Zealot. I think of uh, the verse from Romans chapter 12, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This word zeal rings out as something that draws all of your attention, all of your passion, all of your focus. And what Peter says is, who can harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, this is crazy interesting. I spent most of my time this week studying this phrase, what is good. In fact, one of the things that I thought most about is what is good. 699 verses in the scripture come up with the word good. I read most of them, not all of them. I'll just confess to you, right? But it begins in where? Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God creates, he steps back, and it's what? And it's good. We move all the way through the scripture, and the last mention of the word good is in 3 John. Almost get to Revelation. So all throughout the scripture, there is this word good that is riddled all throughout it. And and I'm very interested in, in what the meaning of the word good is because what Peter says is, is if I'm zealous, passionate, pursuing what is good, then what Peter says is, what can harm me? And I've lived a lot of my life in fear of what can harm me. I don't know about you. In fact, many of the decisions that I've made in my life are at times influenced by how much or what can or cannot harm me. Are you with me? So if we can just better understand what is good, then maybe we'll get a better understanding of what Peter is saying here. Well, I think the only way to do that is to understand the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, is tevo. And this word tevo, listen, in our understanding it means good, but in the Hebrew understanding, it means excellent, upright, pleasant. Have you ever filled out a customer satisfaction form, right? 
Where is good always placed? In the middle. In our language, in our rhetoric, good is average. Okay? It's either like one to five, poor, excellent, good is right in the middle. The problem that arises when we transverse that understanding to the scripture is that is not the biblical theology of the word good. Okay? The Hebrew word meaning excellent, pleasant, upright. The Greek word carries this, this, this overtone of honorable. So I studied this whole word. What is good? What is good? What is good? And then we get tremendous insight from Jesus. Who would have thought? Matthew chapter 19. Put this up for me. Math, uh, Jesus having a conversation which, uh, with the rich young ruler. And this is the conversation. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And so, as you can imagine, I'm sitting in my office, and you guys know I, I like to get, ex- I get excited at times. I finally, after all this study, like land on this conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler, and I'm like, my, you know, my white boy, I'm like doing jumping. I mean, I'm excited because Jesus defines it. He says, what is good is God. Uh, I grew up in the church, and the common phrase was God is good, and all the crowd would say all the time, and all the time, and God is good, right? Such a great phrase became so cliche, and I definitely overused it in my youth, right? But it's true. The absolute definition of good is God. And so when God steps back and looks at creation, you know what he sees? He sees something that's pleasant and honorable and excellent. Why? Because he made it. And so he steps back and says, it's good. And so Jesus is like, what? there's only one who is good. Now, you start thinking about the implications to this. I ate at a um, Cheesecake Factory last night. Any Cheesecake Factory fans? Yep. Cheesecake is pretty much the best thing ever outside of God who's good. But, um, you know, oftentimes people ask you, so how, how, was, how was it? And we'll, we'll say something like, it's good. And, and I've noticed how many times in the last week I've just said the word good. And how many times even I've thought about people and how often we say, oh, they're a good person. But do you understand at the root of this word good, biblically, carries a God overtone. Do you understand how much our rhetoric would change if we started to really understand words and how they're used doctrinally? If we really got that God was good, do you know how reverently we would then phrase anything else that wasn't good in God? We'll often say, they're a good person, And most times we say that about people who do not believe in Jesus, right, but that are moral. Do you see how even that phrasing is problematic? We're attaching a human English adjective to people who may follow moral rules, but who aren't good. So what is good is God, and who is good are God's children, not because they achieve goodness by their good deeds, but because God in his grace, 
through his son's sacrifice, looks down on his children and calls them good because he sees them through the light and lens of Christ. Christ being the the revelation of God on the earth, the goodness of God on the earth, then his children are good. Are you with me? So anything that ultimately is good is connected with God. God is good. Everything else is not good. God, interestingly enough, makes a statement about something not being good as well in Genesis chapter 2 when he looks down at the man and he says, well, this isn't good. Man cannot be alone. Like, I need to create a helper for him. Even in God's understanding, he stepped back and said, something needs to happen here. I know many of you grew up in different contexts where you thought that, that being good gets you somewhere. Let, let me tell you something. Being good gets you nowhere because we can't be good without Christ making us good by his sacrifice. And at that point, the statement, God's sovereignty frees his children to live righteously, starts to come to life. Let me put it to you this way. Um, when I wake up in the nighttime and my kids are there, and I often get up early, I have to do a lot of tiptoeing. You know what I'm saying? I live in an old house. Uh, 1940, I think, is when it was built. We're having tremendous foundation issues right now because of it. And we have old wood floors. Well, if you have ever seen an old wood floor, they crack, they creak, right? They make a lot of noises. And so when I wake up at whatever time in the morning, A, my wife's, you know, laying there, and I don't want to wake her up. And so I, you know, I kind of like... You, have, you, have you mastered, like, the move out of bed to make no, no noise, right? Like, if you're not married, don't answer that question, please, because I, right? But, but if you are married, you've, like, you've mastered this move to make sure you can get out of bed without your wife waking up. So I do that, and then I'm, and then I'm like, tiptoeing all around the house, and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll land upon a wood piece that makes a bigger creak, and then you're like on your way and you're trying not to clank around. You're turning the shower on slowly so the water doesn't gush. I mean, all of these things. What I've realized is that the opposite of pursuing zealously what's good, the thing that ultimately will hold me back from being free to live righteously, is shame. I won't live freely pursuing what's good in God Understanding that his sovereignty allows me to live righteously if I am weighed down by shame. And I've seen this in my life. The moments when I've struggled, not repentant, and carry that shame on my own instead of giving it to the one who asked for it, cast all your burdens on me, because like, I live, listen, like I'm tiptoeing around. I don't want to wake anybody up. I have no boldness or confidence to me. I'm just going to prance around, make sure that no one draws, no one, I don't want to draw any attention, I just want to skirt through, I don't want anyone to see me or more, uh, more importantly, hold me accountable. One of, and the first that Peter points out, one of the disasters to living freely towards Christ, pursuing zealously what's good in God, is shame. And many of you sit tonight in the tremendous amount of shame. Listen, you're living like someone's holding back your shirt. There's no boldness. There's no confidence. You're bogged down. And you're trying to navigate through this life with someone tugging at your back with a lack of freedom. It's no fun. And many of you have spent years doing it because you're caught up in some addiction that you're, just, you're still wrestling with. 
Let me tell you something. The scripture says that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, we see this powerful thing. Anyone who believes in God, there will be no shame. For us to be freed, to live righteously, the shame must go away. And the tiptoeing around that you're doing so that no one will notice, that no one will be drawn attention, that no one can call your sin out, it cripples, it cripples living, pursuing after God. Are you with me, church? So many of you are like, so, so what do I do? I do, I have the shame. I, if, if people found out what I really was, I would be ruined. We all would. We all would. That's the point of the cross. That's the power of the gospel. If we all found out everything that we had all done, do you understand where this night would turn? If we all knew everyone's thoughts in this room and all the deeds that we had all done, that's the point of the gospel. That's why the statement can be made, God's sovereignty frees his children to live righteously because the shame is gone. It died on the cross. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, he's not done, not even close. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So, what Peter says is, okay, if you pursue God, pursue his goodness, pursue who he is, and understand your place in that goodness, what can harm you? You're in his sovereign hand. It doesn't matter what or who does anything to you. You are in the clutch of God. And so I step back from this verse, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. I was asking the question, well, what do you mean? I'm blessed. How am I blessed? You're blessed because every time, in Peter's context and for us, that we suffer for pursuing good, pursuing God, we're reminded of whose clutch we're in and what the world, listen, can't do to us. Every time his readers suffered for pursuing righteousness, they were reminded of what the world could not do. The world wanted to do a whole lot of things, but every time they suffered, they were reminded. They said this, they said that, but you know what? No one can take the gospel away. Isn't that amazing? No one can take Jesus away. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I, I was um, setting up a Saturday in Pal Terrace, amazing opportunity that we had to love on the folks there, and, and a few of you guys were with me when this happened, and so you can get a picture of this, and I'm not saying that this is suffering like these folks, but I was uh, walking around the neighborhood early Saturday morning, inviting people to come out to this barbecue that we were hosting, and this uh, one, this one uh, family had pulled up in their car, and I mean, you guys know me, I'm just, you know, I'm not too shy, okay, and so this woman gets out of her car. And, uh, and, sh and she, she turns and starts walking. And I just, I say, hey, ma'am. And, uh, and, and I know she heard me, but she kept walking. And I probably should, you know. But I said again, hey, ma'am. And it had, it's been a long time since I've experienced something like this. But she turned around. And I'm not going to do it now because it would. But at the top of her voice, she said, look, I don't come to your house and bug you. So don't come to mine. And, and a couple other things within that. And I sat back, I sat back thinking about how that affected me. And I was with a couple of you, and you heard it, and you saw even my reaction. 
And I was trying to play it off like it didn't affect me. I was like, oh, yeah, right, right, you know. But deep down, like, I was like, come on. Deep down, I expected this woman, and, and I'm not making a judgment on her soul. I'm not saying whether she's saved or not, but I expected her just to be gracious because she's a human. Why do I expect this? And then when I, in this way, suffer a little bit, why is there any concern that comes up in my heart? As I sat back a couple days later, I was like, you know what? That moment should instantly remind me of the world, of what the world cannot do to me. That woman could say whatever it is that she wants. She could do whatever, it, and at the end of the day, I'm a son of God. God's sovereignty frees me to live righteously. Why? Because it's his plan, and I'm under his control, and I'm blessed by his love. And so the reason why he says to his readers that, look, if you suffer for pursuing good, you'll be blessed, what he's saying is, is, is it's because you'll be reminded of the power of the gospel and what the world can never do to you. But then he says this, look at this. Have no fear of them, uh, nor be troubled. This is the second reason why we don't live freely. The first is shame, and the second is fear. I uh, played high school football, and our defense my junior year was the Monsters of the Mid-State. We had six guys on that defensive unit that ended up going to prison, and um, we were a, we, they were a scary bunch. I just played free safety, okay? Let's be honest about it, right? But all the guys, so, do you guys know what free safety is, right? I feel like I'm the guy who just sat back and didn't do anything, okay? That's what I did, right? But all these guys were a bunch of gnarly dudes. And every year, every game that year, listen, this is how we walked out. We literally, because most teams you see them, they run onto the field. We were called the monsters of the mid-state, like in the news, it was big. Because we, there was one guy, I'll just tell you this quick story. There was one guy that was headed for college. Uh, he was a college, he was going to be a college quarterback. And three of our guys hit him at once, and in one play, tore his leg out of socket, broke his arm, and gave him a concussion. So that, that was these guys. Um, I was glad to be their friend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like, we gave up literally two touchdowns in nine games. Two touchdowns all year. It's crazy. But, but we walked on the, f listen, most teams run on the field. We would just walk, like nine across holding hands, just like this. And th they would all wear like, like, like scream masks under their, you know, I mean, they were just scary dudes. It was so pompous and arrogant but I remember, like, without even saying it, the whole purpose was, like, it doesn't matter whether you're in our place or we're coming to yours. Like, we will put the fear of God in you. <laughs> and so we would just walk on this field, and this other team, like, would be looking over at us, wondering which one of them tonight that would be headed in the ambulance, you know? The power of fear is crazy. Listen, fear is absolutely time-consuming. Many of you have spent a lot of your life in fear, in fear of people, in fear of finances, in fear of your lack, in fear of relationships, fill in the blank. In fact, I would say this, a lot of some of your time is filled with fear. And you know it because you don't feel freed at all. You feel completely hindered. 
you want and are trying to move around, but deep down, you're scared. You haven't really understood the fact that as a believer, you're a daughter or son of God. Peter says, listen, don't be troubled. Do not fear them. Why? Because you are under the sovereign hand of God. And what Peter is trying to get in his reader's mind is this. If you all can start understanding this, then you know what? All of a sudden, verse 15 happens. Watch this, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I love this. The Greek word holy, listen, is the same Greek word that Jesus prays when the disciples say, teach us how to pray. And he says, all right, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This Greek word, holy, is the same word for hallow. He says, instead, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, set apart. You don't need to worry about the, the piddly things of this earth, which will be so time-consuming. You don't have to watch your friend die, which they were, and wonder, why is this happening? You get the great opportunity, like no one else in the world, to say, God is in control. And so you then regard God as holy, set apart in your heart, consecrated, hallowed. Many of us in our shame and our fear get very confused about what our God is at any particular time. Uh, When you're riddled with shame, uh, your God, listen, becomes your shame. You're so crippled by your shame that it, even though it's the opposite of what you think, actually begins to sit on the throne. And many of you are right there tonight. I can't be accepted by God. There's no way he would, he would ever love me. There's, no, there's nothing that could ever be done where he would, listen, if you're saying that tonight, please, that's the power of the, of the gospel. If you're here tonight and you're like, there's no way God, for, God, God, could, God, could, God could forgive me, can I just tell you, that's exactly why God can. Because he takes your weakness and he reveals his strength. Romans chapter 5 verse says, when you were yet a sinner, he died. So don't diminish that. If uh, you're really struggling with fear, and you know this, then fear becomes your God. And that is what is hallowed. And that is what is holy. And that is what is set apart. Do you understand the problem this creates? We waste a lot of time when we should be doing what Peter says here. Look at this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What Peter's whole contention is, is when you live freely pursuing righteousness because you understand God's plan, or you understand rather that God has a plan, then guess what? There are going to be people that come to you and they're going to inquisit on why you have hope. Why are you so hopeful in this dark and dreary world? Why do you have something else? Why does your heart beat to a different tune? And what Peter says is you better have an opportunity to share your defense. The power of shame and fear 
is that you think, I have no defense to make. And many opportunities that we could have had get relinquished because we cower, because our heart says, I'm just a screw up. When that's the very thing that you can be sharing to provide hope. I am a screw up, but God. You see? Now, this word defense is interesting. It implies, listen, not something five years ago. It implies current. Many of you, when given opportunities to defend the reason why you hope in Christ, you've used some experience from three, four, five, six, seven years ago because you ain't got nothing current. You're living vicariously through someone else's sermon, someone else's teaching, someone else's worship song, someone else's revelation from the scripture. Many of you, that's all you do, is you just feed from the Chinese buffet of everyone else's experience with God. Oh, give me a little bit of that, and give me a little bit of that, and a little bit of that. And you never just go to your room, shut the door, and feast for yourself. The power of this word defense is it is to be current. When people, the world, sees the hope that we have in us, how amazing is it when they ask and we can say, let me tell you, this morning at 8.35 a.m., here's what God did in my heart, and it continues to reveal today the power of the gospel. Not even five years ago, and it was powerful then, but today, time in our culture, listen, is so relevant. Uh, you know this. If something is five years ago, like our culture, they, they don't talk in that lingo. They're right here, right now. It's current. It's now. It's whatever. It, when we can share in defense the hope that we have in Christ from our relationship with God now, do you understand the power? But there's a little tag that Peter puts on us. <laughs> Yet do it with gentleness and respect, Right? Because some of us hear the word defense and we're like, oh yeah, right on, right? So people come to us and they're like, so tell me about the hope that you have. Yeah, well let me defend that for a second, you know what I'm saying? And you tuck in your shirt and you know, and you get your Chris Farley, I mean you're just ready to roll, you know? Like let's defend this mug. No. The greatest opportunity, listen, for us to share the truth of Christ is even in our demeanor. Do you want to, we don't, we downplay that too much. Because in a world full of chaos, guess who should be the ones that are cool, calm, and collected? It's the Christians. Why? Because God's sovereignty allows us as his children to live righteously. We have no worries. We're his. No one can harm us. We're in his grip. No one can do anything to us to change our status with God. And that's what matters. And so we're cool, calm, and collected. And when people come to us and they even make crazy remarks about Christianity... What they want to see in us is our reaction. Will we be the dude that's ready to throw down, or will we be the guy that is, that is not tainted by someone else's comment, but rather speaks poignantly and directly with gentleness and respect from a current defense? Many of the folks that I've seen that get ultra-defensive are the ones that are feeding off of someone else's buffet. They're ultra-defensive, and they're the same people that are just feeding from what someone else learned from the scripture. Now, 
God's sovereignty frees his children to live righteously. Why? The shame is done with on the cross. Fear is done with on the cross. And all this time that I've spent living, being held back now, listen, I stand in confidence. When my kids aren't home and I'm at my house, um, as you can imagine, it becomes a rock and roll concert. Okay, I'm just gonna, right? And, and whenever you have kids and you realize like volume control for those people who have issues with volume control, um, they were gone a couple months ago for overnight. And when I woke up in the morning, it was whatever time it was, instantly CD player on, pardon me, MP3 player, right? My discman, I turned it on, right? <laughs> right? CD player comes on, volume full blast. I'm taking a shower. I mean, I'm rocking out. You know what I'm saying? There is this, this boldness that comes with freedom. There is this I fear not because I need not fear. And listen, the same thing that I thought in my dorm room, now I can do whatever I want. Do you see what happens? It changes. Now I can do whatever he wants. What I once thought that ultimately was freedom in the flesh now shifts to say, now I can do whatever he wants because I am his. And so I want to ask all of you tonight, what is it for you? Do you feel like tonight that you're in this place where you are living uninhibited, freed, burdenless? For you tonight, can I share something with you? Celebrate. Give God thanks for how the gospel has affected you. Can you do that? Celebrate it. Don't look for something that may not be there. Just, sell, just sit in his grace tonight. God, thank you so much that, I am, that you've allowed me to live freely and pursue you who is good. For those of you tonight that are just really wrestling and struggling with shame that is probably brought on by a, an addiction or a God that you have exalted, can I share this with you tonight? The power of Jesus dying on the cross is so that that shame that you have that's been building up and weighing you down is done with by the power of a Christ, of a Savior dying. For you tonight, it's letting the gospel be the gospel. Don't listen to the lies that you're never gonna be good enough. There's no way he'll forgive you. If there was no way that he could forgive, then none of us would be forgiven. Rest in the power of it. And if tonight your issue is fear that's holding you back, you have one question to ask yourself. Who's in control? Whose grip are you in? Is it yours or his? The result are a freed people of God. Not inhibited, not held back, passion, boldness, fervor, zeal, confidence in Christ, walking around flat-footed instead of tiptoeing around, 
Not so that we can boast, but so that we can have opportunities to boast in the cross of Christ. Are you with me, church? There are too many Christians that I look around, that are tiptoeing around, not wanting to be found out. No, it's time we stand boldly and confidently because of the cross. Let's do grace justice by being freed people who are pursuing what is good zealously. Are you with me? And what Peter says is you, my friends, will have opportunities to share the hope that you have. And oh, when they come. May we truly portray the right gospel. Let's pray together, all right? God, I, uh, I realize that. Um, I just want to say, God, that I'm, I'm so thankful that tonight, even right now, I really wholeheartedly believe that you have the power to save some of my friends in this room who don't know you. And so God, I ask you that would you just show yourself to them? Would you show yourself as worthy as God, as good? Would you show how you can forgive even them whom they may think they're the worst of all sinners? God, would you breathe life into their heart tonight? God, for the shamed For the condemned, would you help them stop listening to the lies? God, would you just help them sit in your grace and let the gospel be the gospel? God, for the fearful, for the afraid, God, would you you show them this picture that you did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. God, affect our lives so much so, God, that we can be free to live righteously. God, thank you for your plan. Thank you that we don't have to spend our time worried about the things of this world or what people from the world can do to us. Thank you, God, that we can worship you and be unafraid. So church, we're going to, just kill the lights and we're going to stand together and it's you and Christ it's worship it's uninhibited praise of the one true holy mighty faithful God so church I ask you in confidence let's stand together and worship that God come on